So we're here with uh, a very last episode of this proverbial season of The Christian Artist before we do a revamp and have new overlays. And we do away with the cold opens. And so this will be our last cold open. Uh, Carly, do you have any ideas about what we should do for our last cold open? That, what's, what do you mean? Oh, cold open. Because it's a refrigerator. This is the Christian artist honoring Christ through creativity. My name is Caleb. And my name is Carly. And we are here streaming live from my phone and from my house. Carly's house. I'm here in Washington visiting this beautiful, wonderful person to my left. And yeah. We're gonna do an episode of the Christian Artist because it's Monday, gosh dang it! And what do we do on Mondays? We do an episode of the Christian Artist. What are we talking about today, Carls? Well, we both read and talked about as we were reading chapter by chapter, "Family Driven Faith" by Bodie Bauckham. Mm-hmm. I do not have my sleeve on my wow. copy right now. Because I didn't even bring my book. So. It looks nicer on the bookshelf, but uh, it looks like that. Um, we're going to talk about it more. Yeah. So uh, basically the book is so by Bodhi Bauckham, and it is a book more or less about raising godly children in a... subtitle? Doing what, what it takes, takes to raise sons and daughters who walk with God. Yeah. Right. So about um, being parents um, as Christians. And it was great. It was a really, really good read. Um, our you know initial review of the book. Is basically just like five stars, A plus, yeah. go read it. Um, but we're gonna kind of give a more the kind of detailed review. Um, because it's a I don't know, I, I think I said multiple times while we were reading it that I think every Christian parent should read it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, uh, a what's the term I'm looking for? I want to say content warning, but that's not what I'm saying. Basically a caution. No, it's not the word. What what does someone say when they want to say like a, (laughs) I feel so stupid that I can't remember this word now. Um, Let me start the sentence from the other end and try it again. Uh, Carly and I are not parents. (laughs) And so take our review and Mm -hmm. um recommendation of the book with a grain of salt uh because in a lot of ways we don't know what we're talking about Mm -hmm. Uh, but i thought it was great and i really i've really respected vody bacham's um exposition of scripture as the foundation for his thoughts on um on marriage yeah disclaimer (laughs) thank you thank you kathy yes that is the word i was looking for i heard it from the other room perfect yes disclaimer um, and yeah, so I think the, the best part about this book is it doesn't just like try to take, um, a stance on what parenting as a Christian should look like or what, you know, being married or, or just being, um, raising godly children, what that looks like. Just to try to take a, st- a stance on those things without, um, cutting its teeth on scripture to do so. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's the point of its um, 
the point of him writing this book is not here are my ideas right on what parenting should look like, but rather let's look at scripture together. Let's reason together. Let's exposit scripture together to see what it looks like from a biblical perspective. And how can we be as faithful to that as possible? He specifically uses scriptural passages to say, okay, now looking at this, what do we get out of, out of this in order to know how to raise children? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So Carl's, what were some of your favorite parts? Um, well, there was like a whole chapter basically on family worship. Yes, that was my favorite chapter too. That was just fantastic because I had, I had kind of had a vague idea of what family worship really meant before, but not to the extent of what he discussed and like, I had never heard it argued for so strongly. Um, whereas, you know, it's often like a... Thing. It's like, oh, families can choose to do that, and it's great if they do, but it doesn't really matter if they don't. But Bodhi made a clear case of, like, this is impactful on the lives of children and, mm -hmm. and on the family as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. Specifically with, like, I mean, maybe this, is, this was a different, no, this was, it was a different chapter. But uh, he also talked about how, like, just filling the home with different um symbols, images, and th things that just remind children of their faith and why they believe what they believe. Um, and as I was reading that, I was even thinking of, you know, just like good food and like smells because he, he's very hitting home on like specifically things that engage the senses. Yeah. Um, so those two chapters, I think, were my favorite. Yeah, right. And I think the kind of the main, to tie those two points together in, in terms of like what I think he was getting at is is basically Christianity is not a compartmentalized yeah. experience and so we can't say you know in, in any of these spheres of life that we're going through you know school family um government whatever the sphere is um we can't compartmentalize our Christianity into a different box and leave it there we have to let it impact and influence every area of our lives and have that be the central um focus of each sphere as we go about our daily um lives and so family is no different and so when we're looking at um family from a biblical perspective what does that look like um it has to be you know gospel-centered christ-centered um everything you do as a as a parent as a married couple as you know insert in any of the peripheral terms there um it has to be centered on what's the what's the main aim it's to you know serve god and enjoy him forever right um i completely Glorify butchered thank you forever. there you go the chief end of man the chief end of man thank god you i completely him. butchered that and i knew i did and i was like uh you got the well. basics then. um but right and, and that of course, as we've talked on the Christian Arms before, that's the point of this podcast is let's break down every sphere of life, starting with art and see how do we honor Christ through creativity, through whatever. Um, I mean, we've done episodes on parenting before. Many. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple. Didn't Connor have a whole sermon on that? He also had a whole sermon on that. It was what parents need from their kids yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. Or um, what kids need from their parents. Kids, yeah. That's what, meant. That's what I meant. Um, and so this is a, a topic that we like talking about and like figuring out, not because we think that we're, we know everything because, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, but rather we believe and hope that all Christians should believe, right? That 
the Bible has an answer and a foundation. It has an answer to specific questions about whatever sphere of life, and it's the foundation of these specific spheres of life. And so if we're looking at any of these topics, art or parenting or whatever, um, we have to start with the Bible as our foundation. We have to start with the Bible as the basis for why we do what we do. And so I loved the way this book broke down every part of what, you know, being a family is and went back to square one and said, what does scripture say? Not what does Dr. Phil say? What does this other expert say? What do you, what does practicality show us? What does pragmatism say? Rather, let's strip all of that away. Let's start with scripture and build up from there. And that was really refreshing and, mm -hmm. and cool to see. Um, but yeah, right. Like I think my favorite chapter too was the, the family worship chapter. Um, and, and if you don't know what family worship is, um, basically it's, um, if church, right. If, if our weekly gatherings as believers is involves, you know, the reading of the word, um, singing of, of praises to God, um, you know, fellowshiping and community with each other, praying together. Um, then that experience, that priority is just as important in the home as it is in the sphere of the church. Yeah, he, he makes a connection that, um, I mean, I don't know if he specifically said this, but we made the connection while we were reading it that um, church is just big family worship. Yeah. Like it's, because you know, as it's a, a bunch of families of getting Christ, together. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, so family worship should look like, you know, corporate church gatherings um as a body of believers except scaled down to just your family and yeah. like he he goes into you know using like giving resources for like this is how his family does it and mm -hmm. um like he gives good tips on like this is maybe what you should be doing during family worship it's not just like oh you should be doing family worship it's yeah. like this is what family worship is and why you should do it yeah, and the reason why I think both of us like that chapter is because as he was building up the case for what he calls, you know, family-driven faith, family-oriented, uh, or uh, Christ-oriented family, I guess, is, isn't not the term he used, but that's kind of the concept. Um, this is multi-generational faithfulness a lot, like keeping, keeping the legacy of um, a strong belief in Christ throughout multiple generations. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, like the main point of what Vodhi is saying is um, parents have responsibility to train up their children as Christians, mm -hmm. right, as believers. Um, and this goes into every other area of raising kids, every other area of family um, and marriage and all those things. It has to do with how do we accurately and efficiently and faithfully preach Christ to our kids and if not ensure then do everything we possibly can to assist our children to eventually become faithful Christians in their society and in their future families right so the idea that often gets brought up is this conflict between the way that the world and our current church context does family-oriented anything 
right? Um, and the way that scripture seems to um, scripture seems to uh, mandate these things, right? So in scripture, it seems parents are response are primarily responsible for not only the education but the spiritual foundation and growth of their children, not a nursery worker, not a children's minister, not a family pastor, or whatever. Um, right. The, the individual parents are responsible for their individual children, um, primarily. And so he, throughout the book, there kept being a conflict, um, as he explained the differences between what we do in our current church context and what scripture seems to mandate that there's, there's a, a disconnect between parents that claim to want to graze Christian children and the means by which they think that is accomplished. Um, and Vody lays out the, the clear mandate and um, direction that a family is supposed to take, according to scripture, to raise up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It does not mean that the family ships their kids to a private Christian school and just expects that that private Christian school is going to accomplish all of their spiritual education or that they're going to, you know, send them off to a, uh, to children's church every Sunday and expect that they won't have to do anything with them, you know, or youth group or whatever. Right. Um, the assumption is being made in our current church context. And I know this personally because I've worked in youth ministry for many years. Um, my dad is a youth pastor. Um, I've been, intimately involved in that world and it and i can tell you flat out it's broken it doesn't work um because what happens is um kids are not being trained by their parents they're not being discipled by their parents and so as soon as youth ministry as soon as children's ministry is over those kids have nowhere to go they have no foundation because they the, the entirety of their christian faith is being built on two hours a week and that's not enough um more so than that um most of the time, children's ministers, youth ministers, whatever, are not the most effective people to train up these kids because they aren't their parents. They don't have the ability or the position to effectively disciple them. Whereas I, I really liked what Summer Yeager said the other day on Twitter when she was talking about homeschooling. Yeah. Parents are in a unique position to and I'm going to butcher the exact quotation, but basically it was to see if you can find it right. Parents are in a unique position to, um, to educate the children. There was probably another adjective in there somewhere. Um, but the idea was, um, whether or not a parent is particularly good at any of the things involved in education and, or whatever, they're in a unique position that allows them to have way more direct influence over their kids' lives, their education, their spiritual formation, all of these things that anyone else is able to do because they're constantly with them, right? Um, they have that, they, they can at least have, the, you know, they have the ability to have a constant um, influence on their children's lives. And so by abdicating that to a professional, what instead they're doing is they're not providing a, a kid with the foundation necessary to be a Christian as an adult. Um, their entire church experience will 
will consist of youth ministry and children's ministry. And once they're done with those, there's nowhere else. They, they have not had a Christian experience that will prepare them for being a Christian. It's, it's basically, instead of preparing them for reality, we're preparing them for um, a fantasy that doesn't exist in a lot of, a lot of cases, right? Like youth ministries and children's ministries tend to be dumbed down versions of Christian faith. Um, and so when they get to big church, it's nothing like they've ever experienced. They're surrounded by people who aren't their own age. They don't know how to interact. They don't know how to engage and thus they fall away. But yeah. The quote was basically easy. Okay, cool. Sorry, I mostly covered. Um, yeah, what else do we have to say about the book? Um, you mentioned the whole, uh, five senses chapter. Yeah. I know I really like that chapter too. Basically it was a chapter about, um, filling your home, right? So if we're talking about building a foundation for your children of how to, um, raise them up as Christians, right? How to, uh, yeah, mark the home as God's territory, as the chapter heading here says. Specifically, he says there should be tangible things in and about the homes of God's people that distinguish them from the homes of others. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really a lot of what the book deals with, is looking at the state of the church in America, what's the difference between an evangelical Christian household and the non-Christian household next door? In most cases, nothing. Almost nothing. He specifically talks about Israel and says, every time they walked up to their gates, they saw symbols of their faith. Their doorposts pro proclaimed their distinction. The annual feasts of bitter herbs, lamb, and unleavened bread continually harkened back to their roots in the Exodus event. Moreover, the nations that surrounded them saw, heard, tasted, touched, and smelled the difference. That is what it means to mark our home. homes as God's territory. He specifically starts out the chapter by talking about um, his mother, who used to be Buddhist, and their home growing up was always filled with these symbols and smells and just senses of her Buddhist belief. And that greatly impacted him and what he, um, like how he saw that. Um, and obviously was, um, extremely, it, it was, what's the word I'm looking for? It was impactful in her own experience of that religion. Yeah. Um, and, and so he kind of get, gets more into that and says, why aren't we placing more priority on the senses and how we experience just the world in general as Christians and making specifically, I guess, taking into dominion things that, um, things that can be devices to remember and um, cherish like our belief system and, and like making that our own and specifically bringing them into our home and surrounding ourselves with it yeah because i write like if we're thinking about this primarily from a biblical lens we look at israel for example and we see the priority that the israelites placed on holiness on mm -hmm. separation from the nations around them and that was because god wanted them to be like that and that that sort of mentality continues on in our christian uh experience in the new covenant mm -hmm. we are called to be holy and separate um we can't be holy and separate if we all, if the evangelical Christian household looks exactly the same as an atheistic household. 
It, it just can't. We, we will have no impact if that's the case, right? If, if the, every single time the Israelites put up the idols of the false gods of the nations, they completely lost any impact that they could have. Um, they, they lost their favor with God. They lost the ability to raise up their children in, in the fear of admonition of the Lord. They lost their influence with the other nations. Um, we have a unique and wonderful um, worldview and covenant and um, kingdom, right? This culture that Christianity is and can be, and we're neglecting it. We're, we're saying, no, scripture as a foundation for the way we do every part of our lives is not good enough. I would rather have a king like the other nations, right? Like if we're talking about, to give an example from, from scripture, right? Like God said, I am your king. Mm -hmm. And what are the Israelites saying? No, we want to be like the other nations. We want a human king. And God said, all right, if you have this, you will not be as, you know, there will be a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been seeing. Uh, and Christianity uh, in our current American context is we've abdicated God as the Lord of these spheres and instead someone else takes over. And mm -hmm. if we let it be, you know, a secular psychologist or a, um, you know, the government or whatever, uh, we're going to miss out not only on faithfulness, but we're going to miss out on blessings that could come from um, being faithful uh, as, a, as families. So that, because, you know, I know that Christian parents want their kids to be Christian, right? They want their kids to be faithful to God. Of course they do. Um, but you're not going to get there by uh, abdicating your responsibility. You're not going to get there by abdicating the centrality of God to every sphere of life and just being like everyone else. You're going to have to be different. It's going to have to hurt, right? You're going to have to be the weird homeschool, <laughs> not necessarily homeschool, but you're going to have to be the weird family that everyone's like, oh yeah, everybody knows they're Christian because they won't shut up about it, <laughs> right? And Or that you walk in their room, you know, in their house and there's a million and one verses everywhere, right? Like those sorts of things. It doesn't have to be like, you know, punching you in the face with yeah. over the top you know, cliches or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But um, we have to be different. That's the point of Christianity. It's to, what, that's what does the word holy mean? It needs to be separate, set apart. Um, and we can't be set apart if we're exactly the same as the atheist mm -hmm. neighbor next door. Yeah. And we always talk about, you know, I mean, just the biblical principle of whatever you do, do it with excellence. Don't just, you know, specifically we usually talk about in art, don't just make art that you think glorifies God because it uses Jesus's name. Like <laughs> right. actually make good art and that itself will glorify God. Um, mm -hmm. And so when we talk about filling a home, and I'm sure Bodhi would mean this too, when we talk about filling a home with symbols of faith that doesn't just mean that there's crosses everywhere and that it's a cross on literally every island <laughs> in our house um yeah it, it doesn't mean that your life looks tacky in that <laughs> you, like your wallpaper is covered in scripture necessarily um but but you can tactfully and artistically use images and um other tools of faith to fill your home 
I mean, I just, my immediate thought is like, oh, interior design and like decorating, like you can legitimately, maybe you're not specifically suited to decorate a home in a way that doesn't look tacky, but, <laughs> but you know, if, if you feel like, oh, I was, I was savage. <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> but like, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say like, it, 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 your home should not look tacky if what you're trying to do is remind yourself of your faith. Like, mm. it, it doesn't have to look tacky and it shouldn't look tacky. It should be done with excellence. And, um, you know, even unbelievers should be able to walk in your home and be like, oh, this place is, like, well put together. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's that's an important uh, idea here, right, is that... Um, the point is to show unbelievers and our children, right? Mm -hmm. Especially. Obviously, that's the yeah. main main focus on, of this book and what we're talking about. Um, that we are Christians. God is our focus in all of life. Mm -hmm. We exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here is how we show that. And one way to show that is you do everything with excellence, right? Yeah. You, whatever, it, it, you know, do, as we quoted in the eschatology episode... Um, it's not about putting little crosses on the yeah. shoes. It's making good shoes, right? It don't, you don't need to put cross wallpaper on everything. You just need to have good wallpaper, <laughs> <laughs> right? But, but then just, just paint or just paint, right? You know, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but right. That, it's those sorts of things and, and knowing the purpose and meaning behind those things. That's important for, um, showing your children why, we are the way we are, right? Like, why do we do things? Um, and, and the way we do things is, should be reflective of Christianity. So one of the other examples in that chapter was just the simple act of praying before meals, right? Yeah. Um, the reason we do that primarily is, well, you know, primarily it's because it's good to thank God for the things that we have, but mm -hmm. also for, particularly in the aspect of like parenting, having being a family, um, it's important to show uh, you know, the children that we, and to show the children that we are thankful for God yeah. in every aspect that we don't leave God out of yeah. something like a meal, but rather we always invite God into everything that we do. And I think that's maybe a good way to kind of sum that up, right? Is in, in, in the way we make our home, we invite God into that space. Mm -hmm. Um, in the way that we eat our meals together, we, we have, you know, God is welcome in that space. Um, and we see, that if we're, you know, because we're basing our lives on these scriptural principles, um, that's, you know, that's how we're different. And, and if we constantly do that with every single sphere of life, there's going to be a difference in the way that we live. And thus in the way that we, that our children see that we live. And thus when they come to us and ask, why don't we do, do it this way? Right. We can go back to scripture and, and show them the foundation. Which really it. just gets down to we should have a desire to be consistent yeah. in everything we do. Yes. Because we should not just act like Christians at church. Yeah. Um, yep. We should actually be centering everything we do around the things that we believe. Um, and so that obviously includes anything you do within the home, especially. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I think that's a really good point, especially not ju yeah. not just, you know, also. But especially, I think if we look at the spheres of life, right, and and the the way that Christianity and our, our Savior interact with those spheres, we start with the, our individual personal selves, right? And we have to 
work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, right? We have to do business with God and work on ourselves and sanctification and pray that the spirit will do that. But then the very next priority is family, right? Um, you get yourself right with God so that you can have, so that your family can be right with God. You get your family right with God so that your church can be right with God. You get your church right with God so that your, your nation can be right with God. And when your nation is right with God, there you go. You just keep doing that until all the nations are right with God, right? <laughs> but we have to start with the individual level, then the family and, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, in, in with a, with issues like um, advocating uh, Christian responsibility to, you know, the church or the state um, with education or with spiritual formation or whatever. Um, that's basically trying to subvert the natural progression of things, right? Instead of working on our personal selves and then working on our families and then working on our churches and then working on our nation. Instead, we're, say we're saying, all right, well, this family thing, I don't have to work on this. Shove them to the church sphere. Let the church work on it. But the problem is if the church is not made up of families, that have been worked on, what help is the church going to be, right? And if if the if the nation is not made up of churches that have been worked on, what help are they going to be? It, it's not. It only has to progressively lead one step to another. Um, so we have to start with ourselves, then to our families, mm -hmm. and then once we have a bunch of families who all get it, who all are training their kids up in the admonition and fear of the Lord, who all understand our primary responsibility is to our kids and um, they are our responsibility and not someone else's. Then we get to see churches that all get it, that aren't, you know, and, and then we get to the, the vision of family integrated churches that he talks about. And mm -hmm. I guess we should probably talk about that before I just randomly start. Well, one about. thing I going to say is that <laughs> yeah. like, it's not, he, he continually says, it's not the church's job to raise your children, it's your job. Um, and giving your children into the hands of the church to raise them in a way that you should be doing um, distracts the church from their actual job, which yeah. is training up all of the saints to evangelize and to um, preach the gospel and to yeah. glorify God and worship together. Um, yeah. And so I think that's had a huge impact that is invisible today that like the church doesn't really know what its actual purpose is because yeah. families just yep. keep shoving their children at yep. them and you know most of the families don't know better they just think oh this is what the culture does even as christians we hand our children over to um you know nurseries or um, youth groups and you know they do all of the spiritual work for us or maybe mm -hmm. not all even but they do a Primarily, lot of it yeah, yeah. um and so that really distracts the church from like realizing that, oh, like we need to be actually um, equipping the body as a whole, um, but not, not letting parents um, just uh, abdicate their responsibility because the Bible is very clear that parents have a large role, um, a majority role in training up their children. Yeah, and of course that's you know as you hit on there it's not to say that there is no yeah responsibility from the rest of the church to help because of course there is right mm -hmm. like we're all we're a family of families um and obviously there's going to be situations where um we can help each other um but it has to do with 
what is the family's primary job? What is the church's primary job? What is the government's primary job? What is our individual primary job? Um, so on and so forth. And I think, right, like when we get into this, I mean, really, this is the state of church in America, right? Being so seeker sensitive that we're, we're, we're catering to a, um, sword to a generation, to a, a culture of, um, uh, I lost it. Carrying to a culture of people who don't understand Christianity, but want to, you know, go to church and be in a place that feels spiritual. Um, when we, when we cater to the idea that the church's responsibility is to baby everyone, I guess, right, is the term, then we've lost the primary role of the church. The church is there to ensure that the saints that are under its wing are mature, healthy Christians. The church's job is not to evangelize people into a service long enough for them to hear the name Jesus and then raise their hand at an altar call. Um, right. Because that, again, it, it not only is ineffective, but it subverts the natural order of these things. Right. Um, the church is to equip the saints for ministry. Um, and so we, as the church can all come together and, and evangelize, of course, um, but we don't do it by inviting them into the church. That's not the point. Um, the point is we as individuals and families and churches, we go out into the world, evangelize, and then once they are a Christian, then you bring them into the church to be equipped as a saint, as a mature, healthy adult Christian. Um, and, and I think the idea of, right, like you just kind of shove your kids into the children's ministry and then you don't have to think about it, plays right into that idea, right? Because why are we primarily going to church? Um, so that the people who work at the church can, you know, baby us, can help us to be, you know, can help us to be comfortable, can help us to be comfortable, <laughs> right? Like ultimate, and, 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 and that's kind of harsh to say, but unfortunately I just keep seeing this over and over and over again, that the point is not, you know, point of churches in America right now is not to do what scripture says churches should do, but rather what is easy for us to do. What is the minimum? What is the minimum? Yeah. What, like, how do we get people or, in the door? Yeah. And, and one of the, uh, one of the frustrating things that I've had about being involved in a church culture for a long time that is like this is, is hearing constant conversations about how do we grow our church numerically? Right. How do we get people into the church? And there's very rarely any talk about how do we consistently keep the people in our church living Christian lives and being faithful to scripture as they're supposed to be. Um, and that, and that goes, you know, into the whole children's ministry youth group thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this idea of parents advocating their responsibility, because what is more attractive to parents 
in America, then, oh, I can, you know, to people who claim to be Christian, right? That I can go to a church and have free childcare and be undistracted as I sing some songs, right? Um, and that is so antithetical to the point of church. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to the whole idea that you uh, you pointed out, the term he uses, multi-generational faithfulness. Yeah. You're because, not going to get yeah. multi-generational faithfulness when you exclude part of your family from your faith. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, I, 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 you know, then it becomes, I go to church for me. Ultimately, that's what it's saying, right? Um, the kids will get their own experience, and I don't have to worry about them. I can just worry about me. Um, and especially with all the songs that we usually sing in our current cult- church context, it's mostly just Jesus and me, yeah. and that's all that matters, right? Which We're- we've talked about, and we had a yeah. whole episode on worship songs, yeah. and Angel. specifically yeah. talked about, like, maybe it would be better if the congregation sang we instead of I, yeah. and every song that we sing. Um, And a lot of old hymns are like that. They're, you Mm -hmm. know, we as one body are singing this, not this is a a personal thing. Because it's fine to sing personal songs because faith is personal, but it's also, you know, when you're in a corporate congregational setting with other believers, it's not, it's not just a you and God thing. It's a you and, it's a God and the entire body thing. Yeah. And, and when we say entire body, we should mean entire body. Who goes to your church, right? Not just the adult people who go there for the free childcare. It also includes all of the people that you're now dragging away to go be the people who do the childcare. Mm-hmm. Um, all the people, all the young people who could be worshiping with the believers, many of which probably are Christians, right? Like um, these children. Um, because they're not, they're not stupid. You know, they're, Mm -hmm. it's not that they can't understand this sort of stuff. And and a lot of them, a lot of people, uh, do like, um, are saved at a young age, right? They do, um, understand that and, and, and get that and and are saved. Um, and so what, what ends up happening, and I've seen this time and time again, just because of my own church context and church culture I've been a part of, um, is we just see sub-churches develop, right? Yeah. It's, a com- it's a complex division of the body over and over and over again into different sub-cliques, right? So you have the youth you group over here. You just end up with your age group. Yeah, that is, is your church. Antithetical to what scripture commands yeah. church be like because you have, you know, specifically a command for older women to teach younger women. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's... You know, how does that happen? Just, just that verse alone yeah. is like, yeah. How are you supposed to do that if the older women and the younger women never Direct. connect in a meaningful way? Yeah. Like, they have to be in the same, um, under the same teaching. Um, not necessarily all the time, you know. Like, obviously, you can have certain. Yeah, this isn't um, to say that you can't have a, a, some teenagers get together for yeah, a Bible study. Exactly. Of course. Um, because sometimes being with your age group does help you understand um, spiritual things better. Mm-hmm. But in a typical, you know, week to week, what our faith looks like, it should not be. Um, if we're going according to scripture, we should all be integrated 
um, with other ages to yeah. actually um, obey scripture. And, and, and I, I can speak to that experience personally because I have lived a life that is very interconnected with other people uh, in different age groups. And that's primarily not happened because of my church context. I guess sort of, but that's just because I, my dad was the youth pastor. And so I ended up hanging out with a lot of different people from a lot of different age groups just because I was so connected in the church. Um, but being homeschooled also was tremendously helpful for that because I'm, I wasn't constantly just around people my age. I was around people of all ages all the time. Like I, I was one with my family most of the time. But then we had all sorts of things where we, I was, you know, I went with the youth group for something. I was like six, right? Like, and I got to hang out with, you know, older teenagers. And then there was, you know, a lot of people at my church that my parents were friends with. And we'd go over to their house and I was hang out with them. Um, and it was so helpful to me. And it continues to be helpful to me to have um, people of all ages in my church body um, that uh, I know and love and we help each other to grow and sanctification. Um, the older people in my life give me wisdom. I give them zeal, right? Like that's the the trait, and then the scripture specifically talks about that, right? That that is the the function of different generations being in the same body, and you destroy that when they're separated from each other, because then we have you know situations like a church picnic or whatever, right, where the yeah. whole church gets together you realize you've never met half these yeah. people, right? And how am I supposed to meaningfully interact with them? How is the only thing we have in common that we both, I guess, talk about Jesus, you know, because I don't know these people and, and how am I supposed to be the church with them? How am I supposed to take seriously a passage like first uh, Corinthians 13 that talks about, uh, I think it's 13, maybe not. It talks about the body of Christ um, uh, you know, each having the different members, right? The eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet and whatever. How am I supposed to understand that if I've only been around eyes? Right. Right. And that's just another like example to give, but this, this, I think this has, it has direct application because of the different age groups and their tendency towards different ministries, right? Like young people are very zealous. Um, and I know this because I am one of them. Um, right? Like we, we have energy, we have zeal, we have passion. We want to do things. We want to be active in ministry. And then we have people who are older who are very wise and discerning, patient. Um, and we, how, how are we supposed to, how, how are the young people, um, how are young people supposed to understand patience and wisdom when we are n never around people <laughs> who are patient and wise? Um, and, and this, I think, happens a lot too where even youth ministries right so you'd say wait a second no but you have the youth pastor right the youth pastor is the wise you know older person in the situation half the time that's not even yeah. true right half the time it's it's literally like the the um seminary student from next door right that has you don't even know this person and it's just like ah do you want a job we need someone to be the youth pastor. And it's it's like an afterthought almost. And it's like that person doesn't have any more wisdom than probably any of these teenagers do. Um, and half the time, that's the way that that works. Um, and so we just have such a mess of priorities here, um, right? Like, and, and Vodi's book really describes why it's important to foundationally say to parents, 
you are responsible for the education and spiritual formation of your children. Because if you're not doing it, someone else will. And by abdicating your responsibility, you're, you're giving up the unique position and uh, authority you have as their parent to be influential over their lives. No one else is going to have the same kind of influence that you are able to have. That doesn't mean that every parent is more influential than someone else in a person's life, but you have the ability and the means to be that person because you are living with this child, right? And it, and if you're doing your job, you can have lots of influence on them. Um, and so there's just a lot of stuff going on in that book um, that really, really helped Carly and I both just kind of see practically, like, what does this look like, right? If, if we want to be parents who are um, training our children in, in righteousness, what does that look like? Not, not just like, here is what is ideally the situation, but also how do we get there, right? It was really helpful to read as like a um, kind of like goalposts um, to see, you know, a lot of I think the book was intended majorly for people that were kind of in the middle of raising children that yeah. kind of maybe had maybe had to reassess yeah. and figure out okay what do we need to change what are we doing scripturally already because um, he specifically has um, like questions at the end of each chapter that can help people go through um, specifically what they need to reorder in their family life. Um, as a family, like he specifically wants families to go through it together. Um, but it, it really helped to look at, to go through this book, not yet being married and not yet having kids, um, with the perspective of, do we want to do it this way? And because scripture says that this is how we should raise children, then yes, we want to do it this way. And this is how we do it. This is, um, what we don't do because it's not scriptural. Um, it was really good to have that perspective now rather than um, stumble upon this book and these all of these perspectives later on. Mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there are a lot of times that Bodhi says, like, I've had parents come up to me and be like, is it too late to, like, mend this, um, this you know, multi-generational family-ness thing? Like, just... Multi-generational <laughs> faithfulness thing. I can't believe this. Like, um, <laughs> like, is it too late to put these things into place? Um, and often it's not. Um, but it's good to be able to start with that rather than have to reorder everything later on. Yeah. Yeah, so I we highly recommend it. Yes. It's a very good read. And, you know, I'll just say again, I think every... I mean, honestly, I think every Christian should read it. Mm -hmm. Just just yeah. everybody. Everybody should I feel like that's it. a good blanket statement. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get something out of it. Yeah. Even if you're a single person who has never had... Who has the gift of singleness mm -hmm. and is never intending on being married, it's still going to be helpful for you to understand these And things. even if you disagree with it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a really good argument. And if if you're going into it already disagreeing with you know, oh, you should, you should homeschool or you should have family worship or you should have a family integrated church. Like if you disagree with all of those things already, um, for whatever reason, still read this book and hear his argument because mm -hmm. his argument is based on scripture and, um, 
you know, I think it's it's very concise and worth yeah. listening to. At least. And, and and this is, I think, unfortunately, because I've had conversations with people about this sort of stuff before, and and and, and I I'm just gonna you know say this, and I don't mean this to come off badly, but pretty much I don't think I've ever had a conversation with um, anyone about this sort of you know being having the parents be primarily you know primarily responsible for their child's spiritual formation you know doing away with the our the way we do youth ministry children's ministry all these things having everybody in service together all of those things right anytime i've had a conversation with anyone about those things they do not have verses they can mm-hmm. bring to their and bodhi says that too that he's to never had a conversation <laughs> with like a youth pastor that can defend like why why do we youth do youth ministry, ministry? why does it exist thing? right there's no model for it in scripture and, and, and that's just what I just don't get. Yeah. We're Christians. What do we live by? Scripture. Why are we living by what Dr. Phil says? Why are we living by what, you know, secular psychologists of America mm-hmm. say? Why? Or by unbelieving parents. Yeah. And why are we, and the way they why are we adopting the same parenting techniques as pagans? Yeah, right? <laughs> And, and if you, you can't give a good argument for a, um, a methodology or a way of doing things from scripture. What are you doing? Are you a Christian? <laughs> like, yeah. what, like what part of, you know, um, we have the sufficient word of God for every area of life. What, what part about that doctrine do we abandon like why why are we doing this um scripture and, and it, it's like maybe someone say what does scripture really have to say about raising children so many things so a ridiculous many. amount of things and we constantly ignore all of those passages because we've bought into a pragmatic way of doing um you know of raising children um and again disclaimer carly and i we're going we're just we're just going off what this guy said what Woody Bachman said um and so if you want he's going off what scripture and he's going off what scripture says and I think and, and this is I think one of the primary points we've always gotten to on the Christian artists is we don't passionately advocate for anything just because we think we are smart yeah I know I'm not smart um I just believe the word of God and I think the word of God is clear and understandable. Mm-hmm. And I don't think God meant for us to be in the dark about these important things. And I think scripture is clear about the way that a lot of these things are done. You know, how churches are run, how parenting is done, how, you know, all of these things. And and so we, we just need to be humble enough to come to scripture, me, me and Carly included, right? And be able to challenge any belief that we have according to the word of God and say, does this, am I being contradictory to scripture? Am I being consistent with the word of God and what it demands from me as a Christian living life on this earth? And if I am in contradiction to scripture, may I abandon immediately my views and not abandon scripture. Oh, Oh. Oh, what are you doing? That's okay. It's okay. Cool. You have any other thoughts? Um, 
one thing I was going to touch on is that this isn't just like a theoretical like model for family life. Like people do this. Yeah, people, people actually have done do this. this and lots of people. It works. Yep. Um, I mean, Bodhi talks about specifically his family and the immense impact it's had, like specifically family worship um, and like filling their home with things that remind them of their faith. Like it makes a huge difference. Um, then their kids' minds are actually constantly filled with um, reminders of what they believe and why they believe it. Um, specifically with family worship, um, reinforcing the why um and and i mean in my own life like i've seen families that um that have practiced these things and you know maybe not that maybe haven't practiced every single one of these things but even just a couple of them makes a huge difference um i mean the first family that comes to mind is just the Jankovics and the Merkels, <laughs> um, which, you know, I am not one of their kids, so I haven't seen firsthand, but I have seen, I know some of their children and I've seen what their faith is like and it's incredible. Um, and they have consistently raised up kids um, in a way that I think is very biblical. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, those those kids are not the kind of kids that are going to graduate high school and go to college and immediately walk away from faith. Yeah. Um, like those kids are, their their faith is not just um, tradition. It's not just something that's been instilled in them because their family went to church once a week and they got dropped off at youth group on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, it's faith that has been integrated in their lives from day one. And it's, it's become not only a family faith, but it's become their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's probably good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a review of Family Driven Faith by Hody Bauckham, go buy it. It's a great read. It is not that long, but it is jam-packed, full of both great ideas and practical application to make those ideas reality. It's only 214 pages. Yeah, 214 It's not bad at all. Besides, you're all stuck at home. Yeah, you're in quarantine right now. (laughs) Go read this book. Uh, Yeah, cool. So this will be the last episode that we, I guess we have a cold open that we have, now that we use the overlays that I usually use, this time because we filmed it on my phone. Um, but uh, we'll be doing some different things with the Christian artist mm-hmm. starting next week. Um, next week, we're going to talk about theonomy with Mafuki. It's very important good, for yeah. everything going on in our country right now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going to talk about God's law, mm-hmm. how it applies to our current context. Um, with one of my favorite people from Twitter, um, Mifuki, I'm very excited about it. Um, he has great streams, by the way, if you're on Twitch and are, uh, looking for someone to follow, go follow Mifuki. He's cool. And he has great streams. He talks about theology and, uh, current events and stuff like that on, on streams and then plays video games as well. Uh, but yeah, so we'll be back next week with that. 
And that will begin the long stream of guest appearances mm-hmm. we'll have on The Christian Artist, which I'm very, very excited lots about. Lots lined up. Lots. Lots and lots. Um, yeah, I think this has been The Christian Artist. You can find us on Twitter at Christ underscore art underscore show. Their website at christianartistshow.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash christianartistshow. I'll be updating the graphics and profile pictures and overlays and all of these things for the new logo of the Christian artist. We got new music, we got a new intro that I need to finish creating. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I think <laughs> what I'll probably be doing as soon as we get back to Jaysville yeah. is I'll, I'll have you <laughs> help me work out the rest of the Christian artist stuff. That'll be fun. Uh, I need to find another one or two more quotes for that intro mm-hmm. to make it work. Um, and I think, so I, I did, I looked at this information again on Squarespace for like how to get a podcast on that. Cause I was looking at for disagree with me mm-hmm. and I, I looked at it. I was like, wait a second, you can set. And so maybe I, maybe I'll just ask you this actually, whether, what you think about it, you can set. Um, so if I was to import the Christian artist to Squarespace, you can set each post um, to a past date so I can put them mm. on the actual dates that they're meant to be. The only thing we'd lose is the analytics. Mm. Is it worth it? It saves me money. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I might pay someone to import it for me because <laughs> there is so much information. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. I don't have the time to do that, especially <laughs> not in time for the launch, which is, I think, what I would want to do. So I think my what I might do is sometime tonight get on Fiverr and find another. Because I was I was asking a couple people about like how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. I might hire someone to import all that data <laughs> for me. Because uh, that would just be easy to, to do that. Anyway, lots of fun stuff in store for us here on The Christian Artist. No other streams this week because I'm in Washington. Um, but Connor's been streaming on, my, on his channel, mm-hmm. so uh, he's been playing some games, which is cool. I really, really, really want to get back to the Hellbreaker sequence at some point. <laughs> I want to play that game. I'm so pumped about it. And nobody's been free. It's been really frustrating, but it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. You have any other thoughts? Nothing? <laughs> As a last public declaration on this season of the podcast, I love Carl Bush. There you go. Have a great week, y'all. I'm going to go hang out with this girl. <laughs>